Sometimes the world seems to be just full of trouble and sorrow. We all try to figure out exactly what is the, what is the matter, and we come up with various theories. T.S. Eliot, the American poet, thought that he had solved the problem. He said, most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. Jesus had seen our desire for self-importance as a problem, and in our gospel lesson for today, he gives us some very practical advice. He tells us what to do when we're invited to a banquet. He says, take the lowest seat. Don't go to the high table with the important people, but sit out of the way in the least important place. And if we do that, the person having the party may invite us to a more honored place. But if we were to go and seat ourselves in the place of honor, the host might have to ask us to move. So another could sit there and we would be embarrassed. Jesus ends his advice saying, for everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. This is a phrase Jesus liked. He used it several times. It was clearly important to him. And what he is telling us is not only true in etiquette, in social situations, but it is also true in the spiritual sense. Jesus is talking about humility and how important it is for Christian to Christians to master the very human sin of pride. Pride, or arrogance, is one of the seven deadly sins, along with envy, anger, sloth, lust, gluttony, and avarice. We don't often talk about the seven deadly sins, but pride is traditionally understood as the very first of them, and it's also the very first sin that caused the fall in the Garden of Eden. Pride is self-centeredness, a drive for power or influence or recognition above others. The 1928 Book of Common Prayer litany prays, From pride, vainglory, and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, from all uncharitableness, good Lord, deliver us. The list of sins begins with pride. Some of you may remember the movie Bedazzled, which was a spoof on the seven deadly sins, and the person who represents pride walks holding a mirror in front of his face. He cannot look up to heaven nor down to the earth. And in Dante's Inferno, the proud are forced to look at the ground so they can see the dust from which they came. Our first lesson from the wisdom of Jesus ben Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus, speaks of the sin of pride, saying, Arrogance is hateful before God and before other people. And then asks, How can one who is dust and ashes be proud? But it's important to understand that pride is a complex word, and sometimes pride can be good, and can help us to accept ourselves as beloved creatures of God. Pride Day parades are a case in point. They've enabled many LGBTQ people to own and cherish themselves and know they're part of a community that welcomes them as they are. Martin Luther King Jr. also spoke of pride in a positive way. He talked about the drum major instinct which is the desire to stand out, 
to be like the drum major in front of the parade. Dr. King wanted to harness that desire to lead and excel and turn the urge for self-importance and desire to meet more esteem than others towards seeking to stand out in service, in love, in kindness, in following Christ. The antidote to self-aggrandizement is humility. And the word humility shares the same word root as humus, which refers to the soil from which we all came and to which we will all return. Now, Jesus also had advice for those who would host a banquet. He tells them not to invite those who can repay them, but rather those who cannot. The poor, the injured, the disabled. He says the host would not be treated to any feast in return, but would be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous or the just, for what they would be doing is justice. You may remember that justice is to to return to each or to render to each his or her due, and to invite the poor to a feast is an effort to share earth's bounty with all. To welcome the needy is a challenge Jesus makes to each one of us, and here at St. Luke's, we have an on-site opportunity to do just that. Every Tuesday, St. Luke's opens its doors and nourishing food is prepared and served for those who need it. Our members and other members of the community serve the meals and have come to know their guests by name, to know about their lives, and care for their whole person. At least least two of the great spiritual leaders of the 20th century, Dorothy Day, co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, and Mother Teresa, who welcomed the impoverished and dying of Calcutta, spent their lives serving the poor. Some of you may know a book by a Jesuit priest, Gregory Boyle, called Tattoos on the Heart. It tells of his work with gang members in Los Angeles and of homeboy industries, which he founded, and which helps many of them get off the streets and find fulfilling work. He tells stories of the different gang members he met and how their lives were changed by care and compassion. He wrote, If there is a fundamental challenge within these stories, it is simply to change our lurking suspicion that some lives matter less than other lives. He's viewed his ministry as standing by the trash cans of life and picking up the lives that are left out, broken, viewed as of little consequence. He goes on saying, William Blake wrote, We're put on earth for a little space that we might learn to bear the beams of love. Turns out this is what we all have in common, gang member and non-gang member alike. We're just trying to learn to bear the beams of love. Our lesson from Hebrews speaks of the importance of hospitality to strangers, saying that in doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. The Bible tells us of times when this has been the case. Abram and Sarah entertained angels at Mamre, and Tobit traveled unaware with the archangel Raphael. And we might meet them as well, possibly even at our own pantry. 
The Gaelic rune of hospitality expresses the possibility that each encounter with a stranger can bring. I saw a stranger, yes, dream. I put food in the eating place, drink in the drinking place, music in the music place. And in the blessed name of the triune, he blessed myself and my house, my cattle and my dear ones. And the lark said in her song, often, often, often goes the Christ in the stranger's guise. Often, often, often goes the Christ in the stranger's guise. If we do the work that Jesus prescribes today, if we do not insist on being the most important person or being among the most important, but rather take our place with the least important, and if we invite and welcome into our midst those who could never repay us, then we're on our way in the transforming process of sanctification. We're shifting our lives so that we're slowly beginning to dwell more with God, and God is more invited to dwell with us. It's a long and difficult process, and most of us drag our feet because we secretly prefer to stick with our sins, with pride, envy, sloth, anger, the whole gang of seven that we have a hard time shaking off. But if we keep at it, we slowly begin to change. We move from being forgiven by God to becoming forgiving of others. We move from being beloved of God to being able to bear the beams of love and sending them out ourselves. We move from being healed to being an agent of healing. It begins with humbling ourselves and acknowledging our limitations, sins, and brokenness. Sanctification is a long word, but it means we've set our sights on the, dis on the destination to which Jesus calls us. And you can call it the kingdom of God, Call it eternal life. Call it the peace that passes all understanding. All of it begins with a humble and contrite heart. Jesus tells us how to do it. The choice is always ours. Amen. Amen.